From the depths of our nightmares to the haunting of the witching hour. We present to you Crazy Hexy Ghoul. I'm Kelly. And I'm Arlo. So come and join us as we obsess over ghosties and shit. Did you just say ghosties and shit? Hell yeah, I did. You guys, shit's about to get real. Hello, ghosties. Welcome back to another episode. We're glad you're here. Welcome. This is your welcome wagon. Hi. So how are you, Kelly? I'm doing good. (laughs) It's been a while since we've recorded. I know. It always feels like years, like years have passed, but I know that's not true. It's only been like a few months. I have a very random but very important question to ask you. Hit me with it. How ready are you for Halloween? I am so fucking excited for Halloween. It's like, shoot the cannons. <laughs> they Wait, their- Michaels already has their stuff out? Yes. Wow. They had it out right after the 4th of July. It's too soon for Halloween for it me. Is, it is never too it soon is. for Halloween. I guess I shouldn't really say that because we're actually doing a Halloween episode. But like for me personally to decorate, I think my neighbors might think that I'm in a satanic cult if I start decorating the lawn right now. So I'm going to wait. But look, I really want to decorate a lot. Me too. I'm really yeah. hoping to get the energy to actually <laughs> decorate this year. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. I have a bunch of stuff. I have a bunch of stuff already saved up. That's good. Did you ever get that telephone thing you wanted? Nope. You I, never got it? I still don't have Bitch, it. Bitch, you need to go get it. I am on the lookout for that fucking spooky ass telephone. But you know what <laughs> I have got that I've wanted for several years? Ooh, what? I have some school little muffin pans. Aww. Is it like silicone? No, it's um, it's metal. It's like, the, <laughs> you know the Target ones? You know yes. what I'm talking about? It's metal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been waiting to use it. I'm Mm -hmm. so fucking excited to Um, use it. So I am going to need you to make something in it. Fuck diet culture. If you're going to make anything, I want you to make me something in that thing. Maybe next episode? Yes. I've been thinking about making pumpkin bread in it. Yeah. With like a a glaze or like a drizzle or something? Mm -hmm. (gasps) Yes, I will break a diet for that. Yes, I fucking will i will bloat for that gluten mm-hmm. okay i will i I'm will so it's, it's about it. in the name of halloween in mm-hmm. the name of halloween you gotta do you know if you're a true fan you gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> <laughs> do you know what you're gonna be for halloween this year no i've been thinking about it i haven't decided yet yeah do you have any like past costumes? I know we've talked about past costumes, but like any childhood costumes? No, I grown up I wasn't able to really dress up for Halloween. Yeah. So, I have a couple of costumes I was in, but they were bad costumes and <laughs> were they like uh, homemade? <laughs> yeah, well, yes. <laughs> Um, but my mom never let me trick or treat or do anything like that. We didn't celebrate Halloween because it was mm-hmm. the devil's holiday. So did like one Halloween you went as like a church going kid that like, you know, I went outfit I remember dressing up in was a little Native American girl. Oh, my God. Like a Pocahontas like colonizer shit. Oh all right. Oh, my God. Here, put on this costume of this woman that our ancestors killed for their land. Uh-huh. Ah! Yep. Yeah, that's 
a whole other scary and that's not like being on the right side of history scary no you know because no. there is a right side of history when it comes to scary and spooky stuff mm-hmm. there's always a right side of history and my mom always says that we have like native american a native american background but uh we don't see anything in that in our 23andme so i know that sometimes those don't fully go into like certain tribes because they may not like no but if you're not on that you're probably not yeah. so yeah I guess that's how your mom justified that. But you know what? We're not going to go into mom talk because that's a sore subject for like literally everybody (laughs) on the planet. And if you don't have any kind of mom or dad issues, fucking you are, what's the word? You are the rarity. You are the... the, You got really fucking lucky. You got fucking lucky. (laughs) And you know what? Just carry that on. If you have kids, be a good parent to them too. Mm -hmm. Don't be shitty just because, you know, you had it good. Because that do be happening. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. But I don't have kids, so I don't have to worry about that. But you know what? You do have cats and you have ferrets. And let me tell you, they're not far from actually being kids. That's true. So they act like it. They sure the fuck do. We have to baby proof everything for (laughs) our ferrets. So you got to feed them. You got to bathe them. You got to give them water. Like it's the same concept. Yeah. The only thing is they can't really talk and they don't, you know, go to school and stuff like that. Yeah, my cats will yell at me if I, they'll remind me to do shit if I forget. Right? They're like, Mom, please feed me. I'm dying. (laughs) You're not dying. My mom would have dinner cooking on the stove. No lie. She's told me this before. And she would say, she'd make an announcement, five minutes till dinner's ready. And I could not handle it. I smell all the good stuff. And my mom said I would just literally fall out on the kitchen floor, crying, screaming because I need, I would like have tantrums over needing food. And you know what? That didn't age well because I still do that. I still like, oh, God, I need food. Get away. Everybody out of the kitchen. Everybody just fucking leave me alone. (laughs) Do you ever get irrationally angry and you don't know why Mm -hmm. and then you eat and then you're like, oh, okay, I'm good. That was me actually yesterday. Your computer is like, you guys, just get into this fucking show already. They're like, stop talking. (laughs) Right? Like the bratty little kid. My daughter, she's always like, Mom, this is boring. I'm like, whatever, you're boring. Bye. <laughs> like, you can't even drink, so shut up. You Just don't kidding. know. <laughs> she did have some of my wine one time, and I will have to say it was my fault, obviously. I had my wine glass out on the table, and her sneaky little fucking fingers went over there and took a sip. She was like, and I was trying to get to her so fast but I couldn't I was literally two steps away because this child is like flash boom and I'm like ah the whole house is burning down you know now she won't want to sneak your wine so at least she won't you know she won't reach for that again oh my god I hope not at least not for another 100 years Uh uh-huh okay so today we are going to talk about Halloween stuff Like I promised on our Instagram, we would talk about Halloween stuff. We are dedicated to keeping our promise to you guys. I'm so excited about it. (laughs) And what is our topic for today? I can't tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) You're just going to have to guess. Today's episode is about haunted houses. And this will be a two-part episode because in our first episode, this one, it will be pretty much about the history of haunted houses. And then you said you had a haunted house history as well, but 
that was attached to a story. I have a specific story mm-hmm. that is mostly about the history of the house, but it is a little bit about the haunted history of the house, too. Yeah. So. so then our next episode, this part two of haunted houses, will be actual stories of haunted houses. Um, so stay tuned for that. But for now, let's get into this Halloween-inspired fucking episode. Boom, boom, boom. Hell yeah. We know that Halloween is over 100 days away, but we thought we'd get a jump on things and bring you episodes that are quintessential to Halloween. We want to get into the spirit, and we want to tell you stories that are to die for. God, this is so corny. Oh, it gets worse. I mean, it gets better, but you know. I'm living for it. (laughs) We want to treat you to some entertaining tales and we'll agree to keep the tricks to a minimum. I promise you we won't leave you fanging for too long. Howl about it, boo. Let's get into this episode. Oh my God, that was (laughs) the best. Thank you, I do bow. On today's episode, we're going to talk about haunted houses. I guess in order to appreciate haunted houses and all their glory, we must dive into a little bit of haunted history first. I'll try to keep it simple, but there's a lot of history to cover here. So much so that I only pretty much just tipped the iceberg of this topic because it's huge. I mean, we're spanning a hundred plus years here for this. In the 19th century, haunted houses started with none other than French wax artist Madame Marie Tussaud. In 1765, when she was just six years old, her mother took her to Switzerland. There, her family moved into the home of a local doctor, Philippe Curtis, for whom Anne Marie, which was her mother, acted as a housekeeper. Curtis, who Marie would call her uncle, was skilled in wax molding. He initially used his talent to illustrate anatomy, but later used it for portraits. In 1765, he moved to Paris to establish a wax portrait firm. Later that year, Marie and her mother moved to Paris to join Curtis. Curtis taught Tussaud the art of... (laughs) Sorry. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. It's a lot. Curtis taught Tussaud the art of wax molding. She showed talent for the technique and began working for him as an artist. In 1777, she created her first wax figure. Tussaud created many of her most famous portraits of celebrities such as Benjamin Franklin and Voltaire. Whoa. Right? Wax figurines uh-huh. are kind of creepy. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. You got to thank her for that. Well, and this Curtis guy. She was employed to make death masks and whole body cast of some of the revolution's famous victims, those including Henry VIII and Marie Antoinette. Whoa. Yeah. Um, This story is so huge because Tussaud, she was jailed at some time with Henry VIII's wife, Josephine, and some stuff happened and they ended up getting off what they would call, I guess, death row back then. Wow. Um, And then would go on to... (gasps) Wow, that bird hit your window. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, we're keeping that in there. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) My heart is pumping. 
So for those of you who don't know, a bird just hit Kelly's huge window in her living room and it was very loud and scary. I saw it hit and then it went into the tree. And then after we that, just, went, uh, where'd it go? we just checked to see <laughs> if it fell or something because it hit okay. it hard. Yeah, too. it did. It scared me. I yeah. was like, what the fuck? Oh, maybe it was too so. Maybe, maybe she's like, don't talk about me. So is well, she haunting not. stuff? I, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't know because I, I didn't go too far into her thing. But here, let me, let me carry on. All right. All right. All right. Sorry. <clears throat> We're getting okay. ahead. If you're wondering, a death mask is a likeness, typically in wax or plaster cast, of a person's face after their death, which is usually made by taking a cast or impression from the corpse. Uh, Death masks may be mementos of the dead or be used for the creation of portraits. It was very, very common back then in the late 18th century. Yes, late 18th century. I'm sorry to think about that. Because remember in the, the beginning of the episode, I talked about how she was, uh, she did this stuff in the 19th century. Yeah. Because it doesn't happen until the ni- 19th century. Oh. So no. it's like 1802 or something is when she starts with her stuff. So yeah. it does happen in the 19th century, but the 18th century is when she was born. Does that make sense? Yes. So when Curtis died in 1794, he left his entire collection of waxworks to Tussauds. As a result of the Napoleonic Wars, Tussaud was unable to return to France, so she traveled with her collection throughout the British Isles of 1802. So now we're in the 19th century. In 1835, after 33 years of touring Britain, she established her first permanent exhibition in Baker Street on the upper floor of the Baker Street Bazaar. It featured an exhibit called the Chamber of Horrors. Ooh, spooky. Spooky, bitch. She's a spooky bitch. Which showcased her collection of decapitated figures from the French Revolution, which was pretty much everything that she'd gotten from Curtis and then what she created herself. So there was a lot of like real famous from the people's heads themselves. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a replica. It was, well, I mean, I guess it was, but she used their faces molds, you know? Right. That is so cool. Yeah. And people would even take those death masks and wear them like around their villages and stuff. Because, Whoa. I mean, they were very prominent people that were beheaded. You know, you've got Marie Antoinette, um, Voltaire, all these people, the memento for the, you know, for the general public basically so we do have masks today too Uh, i think there's a little correlation there i was just trying to think is there like a did they wear it like we wear like halloween masks or was it Um, more of it was like a to pay homage to someone like you know someone dies and you wear a mask of of you want to like honor them yes yeah something like that that would be so weird if we did that today can you imagine Yeah. I mean, I know that we do dress up like public figures and cartoons and we dress up like all kinds of stuff for Halloween. But this wasn't just Halloween. This was like every 365. Right. You know. Um, So, yeah, it is a little strange that grown people were wearing masks of the dead. I'm sure we have some strange traditions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I totally agree. So in the midst of Tussaud, there were many traveling and stationary ghost shows and spooky fairs and carnivals um, that popped up. Um, I think a lot of people were inspired by her. In 1894, at the San Francisco Fair, there was launched the world's first haunted swing, like a swing ride inside of a building. I'm going to explain it to you so it'll make much more sense in a minute. Okay. The gears are going through my head. I'm trying to picture it. 
Mr. R.W. Wood visited the attraction and wrote about this experience in the Psychological Review. On entering the building, we found ourselves in a spacious cubicle room, furnished with a sofa, table, chairs, etc., a massive iron safe, and a piano, together with other minor articles. But the most conspicuous object was the huge swing. It was like right in the middle of the room. The swing was capable of holding 40 or more persons, which hung in the center, like I said, suspended from an iron cylinder which passed through the center of the room. The curious and interesting feature, however, was that even though the action was fully understood, as it was in my case, it was impossible to quench the sensation of goneness within with each apparent rush of the swing. The illusion of the room being turned upside down worked. It left people wanting to write again, trying to understand the workings of the illusion apparatus. The key element was that the room in which the swing was suspended rotated as well. Both the swing and the room were mounted to a beam that ran through the central axis of the room. The combination of the swing going back and forth and the room rotating around it created the strong illusion of the room being upside down, leaving the visitors amazed of the illusion. Even when people understood how the ride worked, they were still amazed. I would be too. Probably. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? I do have a picture somewhere that I'll show you. But basically, the room was spinning. So it made it seem like it was upside down. But the room was moving. Spinning around them. Yeah, spinning around them. And they were... They were like the axis or whatever. And they were on a swing. So they were spinning too. They weren't going like upside down. No. No, No. they weren't. But they they were definitely swinging. Yeah. So... It was just kind of moving around while they <laughs> right. were moving. Yeah. Yes. Like, honestly, that would have been really fucking cool to experience something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then in the 1900s, there was a Norman's Ghost facade show by Horton and Spooner. And, you know, I tried finding information on this one, specifically this traveling show, and I really could not find anything on it. Um, I think like Madame Tussaud, she had her collection and she traveled. I think that happened a lot. And um, I think those were all like word of mouth type of situations. But then whenever you had exhibits that were stationary that stayed somewhere, I think those created more memorable um, footprints throughout history. They were easier to like pinpoint because some of those places are still there. You know, so no information on on the on the facade that was traveling. But the very first haunted house, or as they were known back then as ghost houses, opened in 1915 by Horton and Spooner. So they basically took their so they basically took their facade and turned it into a space. And that was about like 15 years of traveling that they had done. So they actually created a space. Okay, so outside of that haunted attraction yes it was an attraction Mm -hmm. wow it resembled a carnival funhouse that ran on steam the house still exists today in the holy comb steam collection so you can go visit it and stuff like that in england so fucking cool and i'll post some pictures to our instagram because it is so cool and so scary and creepy she says ghost on the top and it's like "Ah." i want to see it so bad Mm -hmm. you can look it up right now if you want to i could you don't have to. No pressure. If you if you want a better sense of what it looks like, 
then you can. But it just looks like, you know, a phantasmagorium. I came across the phantasmagoria and not the 1990s ride from Bells that was in Tulsa, but what an actual phantasmagoria is or what they used to be called also a uh, phantasmagory. Yeah. Oh, there's a whole thing. Trust me, that will be a few episodes down. All right. I may even talk about it um, in our next episode. I might cover that one. Because, oh my God, the magic lantern, and it is a thing, and I'm so into it. All right. Ah! <laughs> Moving along. These places only fueled people's interest in the macabre. Some even went as far as to inflict harm on others and create opportunity for the youth to wreak havoc on their towns while disguising their behavior as celebrating Halloween. In an article written by Christopher Klein for History.com, So in his article, he quotes a book by Lisa Morton called Trick or Treat History of Halloween. So it's his editorial, but then he quotes her. At first, the pranking was pretty innocent and limited to rural places, Morton says. But as metropolitan areas expanded, kids took the pranking into cities and it became more destructive with setting fires, breaking glass, and tripping pedestrians. Boys ran through city streets, splattering people with bags of flour or black stockings filled with ashes. One year, youths in Kansas City whacked streetcar tracks on a steep hill, causing a vehicle to slip and crash into another streetcar, causing serious injury to a conductor. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. After a spat of Halloween destruction in 1902, the Cook County Herald expressed the frustration felt by many residents of Arlington Heights, Illinois. Most everybody enjoys a joke or fun to a proper degree on sustainable occasions, but when property is damaged or destroyed, it is time to call a halt, the paper intoned. We would advise the public to load their muskets or cannons with rock, salt, or birdshot, and when trespassers invade your premises premises at unseemly hours upon mischief bent, pepper them good. (laughs) Pepper them good and proper, (laughs) said... I'm so sorry. This is what I call blooper material. Uh (laughs) Pepper them good and proper so they will effectively be cured and have no further taste for such tricks. Nailed it! (laughs) (laughs) Some Americans did take up arms against the Halloween tricksters with fatal consequences. Oh, shit. Dun, dun, dun. When pranksters in Tucson, Arizona stretched a wire across a side street to trip passerbys in 1907, one pedestrian, thrown to the ground, drew a revolver and shot dead one of the jokesters. The same year, newspaper reported that a woman in Logansport, Indiana, hope I got that right, was literally scared to death when her heart stopped after her daughter answered a knock on the door and screamed when a group of boys thrust a pumpkin lantern in her face. Damn. Oh, wow. Deadly. The malicious violence and looting connected with Halloween only grew worse during the economic freefall of the Great Depression. I can imagine. Yeah. Morton says that in 1933, the holiday had become so destructive that cities were considering banning it. Many of the cities were smart enough, though, that they thought that while banning might not work, they might be able to buy these kids off, she says. Whoa. During the 1930s, civic and religious authorities, community organizations, and neighborhood families began to program parties, carnivals, and costume parades on Halloween to keep kids inside and out of trouble, which sprung the whole Halloween party obsession that happened. We don't have as many parties now. 
There's not a lot of money during the Great Depression, so people pooled their resources and staged house-to-house parties. The first house might give out costumes such as white sheets to be ghost or soot to smudge on kids' faces. The next house might give out treats, and the next might have a basement set up as a tiny haunt. This starts to morph into kids getting dressed up and going house-to-house for trick-or-treating. There you go. Well, I'm glad for people everything. aren't loading their cannons with birdseed. <laughs> That's what it was. Damn. Right? No, it was... Um, Rocks and salt and... Birdshot? Is that what it's... Birdshot? Lord, let me find it. How to... Uh, how to, how to... Yeah, birdshot. Well, I'm glad Could be. people aren't loading their cannons with... With birds. Birdshot, yeah, with birds. <laughs> you think somebody sh- loaded their cannon and shot that bird into your window? Maybe. <laughs> Interesting, though. Basement parties were a big hit, and people put them on for decades. People don't throw many basement parties now, and that's probably because that shit is fucking scary. Like, we have watched enough murder porn to know you don't go down into someone's basement. Even if you know the person, we ain't going down in the basement, and if we're going down in the basement... Is that why you go down into my basement? No, your basement (laughs) is not as scary. I'm talking like someone's creepy-ass dad trying to get me to go down in the basement, first of all. I will follow you down, but I will not let you follow me down because I need to be closest to the door. That's That's how this is going to (laughs) work. In fact, it's never going to work. I'm never going in your fucking basement. Lucky for you, I'm not planning on that. (laughs) I think you're good. I can uh, rest easy tonight when I lay my head down on my pillow. Yep, I think Mm -hmm. so. I honestly couldn't imagine you like hurting anybody. I can't imagine me hurting anyone either. No. I think the only person that you might be guilty of like truly hurting is yourself. Damn. Have you been talking to my therapist? (laughs) (laughs) I am your therapist, Kelly. Or later, are you appointment? (gasps) This is your appointment. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this next dude that's about to come up, it's not really a dude, but um, this next piece that I'm going to present to you guys does come with a trigger warning for the death of children, uh, teenage children. Are you ready? I'm ready. You ready? Oh, God. The death of children, it just makes my stomach churn. I, and being a mom, and even if I wasn't a mother, it would still fuck me up because you don't kill children. You don't kill animals. You don't kill anybody. You just don't. And that's not coming from like a moral Christian standpoint. That's coming from like a, um, you've crossed my life boundary. And don't fucking cross my life boundary. Is you got one death. Don't take my one death from me, right? Mm -hmm. You've taken years off my life. Okay, so be it. But don't take my one death from me. If you're a good person in life, it's one thing you can do uh, with dignity. Hopefully. That's that's the end goal is that I die with dignity in some form or fashion, you know. Six Flags had a haunted castle attraction in one of their amusement parks in, in Jackson Township in New Jersey. Um, It ran from 1978 to 1982. On May 11th in 1982, at 6.35 p.m., a fatal fire broke out while 29 guests were in the haunted castle. The fire spread rapidly because the building's air conditioner and the fact that the building was made of highly flammable building materials, the fire spread rapidly because the building's air conditioner was kind of flaming the fires. That didn't help anything. No. But the building itself, I mean, I guess buildings are normally highly flammable anyway. Yes. This will make more sense. Give me a sec. Okay. Eight teenagers were killed in the fire. Firefighters from 11 surrounding areas responded to the fire and it was declared under control by 745. So that was about an hour and 10 minutes after the fire began. 
So this thing was up in a blaze for about an hour. That's a long time for a fire, in my opinion. I'm not a firefighter, but especially if they had 11 surrounding areas. So this bitch went up in a blaze. Yeah. I mean, it killed eight people. And um, that's really fucking sad. The bodies were so badly burnt that they couldn't recognize them, and they were originally thought to be mannequins. During the criminal trial in this case, the fire inspector admitted that he had never inspected the haunted castle. There were no smoke detectors or sprinklers set in place, mainly because they deemed the attraction to be temporary because it was on wheels. Bullshit! Holy shit. Yeah. Temporary for how many years? (laughs) Exactly. It wasn't technically temporary. It was open for four years. OSHA came in and did an investigation, and the attraction failed over a dozen fire codes. Not fucking surprising. Thank God for OSHA. I know. So eight days after the fire, a teenager came forward and admitted another teen outside of the castle offered to guide him through the castle with his lighter. The kid accidentally bumped into and ignited a foam rubber wall pad. The prosecution exonerated the teen who had never been identified to the public of any wrongdoing in this case. September 14th, 1984, a grand jury indicted six flags on a charge of aggravated manslaughter. So it was, like I said, it was six flags and then their sister company. The indictment also charged two park executives, the general manager and his predecessor, for ignoring repeated warnings of safety violations. So, I mean, oh wow, that's a long as four years, yeah, four fucking years, yeah. How about you be a whistleblower or do their Uh, job? Yeah, do your job. After an eight week trial, the jury deliberated for 13 hours, deciding that the company was not at fault. You heard that correctly, the company was not at fault. Jesus, I know. And there are loopholes, and here's why they must have had a really good defense team. Yeah. Well, I mean, people like Six Flags, they probably had lawyers on the retainer and shit. Oh, you know? I'm sure. They shut the attraction down indefinitely, and they built a botanical attraction in its place, which is now probably haunted by those eight fucking teens. That I mean, I'd be haunting that place, yeah. too. You know, there's a lot more to this story. We can go back later and cover this story, um, but there's just so much. I know at least four of the family members of the teens that died, they sued again. So they interviewed one of the jurors and they said that they uh, found them not guilty because it was a temporary building. That's why they could get around all the codes because it was temporary. But it was there for four years. I know. That's such bullshit. I don't know what the, the legal is on this, what, was, what is considered temporary, but... All I do know is that it was on wheels, so it was temporary. It's temporary because it burned down. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. You know, it was only a matter of time before something that's highly flammable was going to burst down. No safety precautions. No, none at all. It's so stupid. Not even a fucking water hose, man. You were right earlier. I am then. Right? I mean, I could only imagine if my baby or anybody I know is in there and they die from that. Yeah, and then people say it's not the company didn't have safety measures there Mm -hmm. that should have. In this story, I didn't say this, but in the story, there were nine teens originally and one of them ran because I think they saw fire. So one of them ran and just started screaming fire. Oh, wow. And then that's what sparked that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, bad faith, bad faith, (laughs) bad joke, bad joke. You could say it caught a fire under him. Oh, my God. 
in our blaze of glory, not a place of glory. We can't give all the credit to Madame Tussaud outside of the 19th century because the Egyptians, they were creating spooky houses way before that. And for Egyptians to keep the body snatchers out of pyramids, they would scare them with trap doors, dead end mazes, snakes, moving walls, and bugs, right? Oh, yeah. So they, they are the OG spooky house creators, but not just them. This so I got this information from AmericanHaunts.com, and this is an editorial written by Becca McKendry, and she writes, The Greeks and Romans also unknowingly seeded the path of haunted attractions. Their folklore is rich with mazes and labyrinths, all filled with monsters. As theater was a vital part of their culture, it stands to reason that these ancients began devising rudimentary special effects to represent monsters and beasts. They also pioneered a number of theatrical devices that would evolve into the spooky elements used in haunts today, including fog, trapdoors, ghostly images, and even fake blood and gore. Fun fact, the ancient Greeks created multiple large-scale special FX contraptions used to make actors fly, and the eclemia, a platform mostly used to reveal dead bodies so the audience could see them. That's weird. That's a strange word to say. She also goes on to explain a bit more about the Dark Ages and the Renaissance. For the full article, go to AmericanHaunts.com. It's pretty interesting. There's so much stuff I didn't even know was tied to this. Yeah. But... When I started writing and doing research for this episode, I wanted to present this topic with a more modern approach because I thought it would be more relatable to our audience. But honestly, it didn't feel quite right to talk about Tussaud without mentioning those who came before her. And that concludes mine. But like I said before, I really did skim the top of this topic. Like it is just, it rabbit holes and it springs from here to there and it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. Just so much of it. It's hard to cover in this 30 minute span, you know? Yeah. So I hope I, I gave you guys a little chunk of interesting stuff about haunted houses. Unfortunately, no stories for me aside from this. There will be next episode for sure. Well, I can promise you that. I can't wait. I have, it's a really small snore, snorey. It's a small snorey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a really small story. Have you ever heard of the whole house? No. It is supposedly a haunted house mm -hmm. created, or it was constructed in Chicago, Illinois in 1856 by a man named Charles Gerald Hull. The address is 800 South Halstead Street. Then in 1889, it was co-founded as a settlement house by Jane Addams and Ellen Gates Starr. Have you ever heard of them? Um, not to my knowledge, no. Okay, so they are some fucking badass women. So do you know what a settlement house is, first off? Um, off the top of my head, I'm assuming it's a house where people go to settle. Kinda. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda Am I really. wrong? Okay. Not really. <laughs> okay. Um, have you heard of the settlement movement? Again, it's probably like settlers of some sort mm -mm. Um, after a war. It's a place like, oh, you know what? I bet you it's kind of like um, a commune, but in a house, a house commune, a place where people go to like do stuff. I'm, you're, so you are to, correct. to live in, yes, but also to like do stuff. You are kind of correct. <laughs> okay, so the settlement... Very vague, but you know what? I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> 
So the settlement movement was a reformist social movement that mainly started in the UK and the US Mm -hmm. in 1880 and peaked in the 1920s. The whole purpose was to bring the lower social class and upper social class to be in close proximity with each other and create social connections. The way they went about this was they would build these settlement houses in lower income areas. The settlement houses would provide childcare, English classes, healthcare, and other aids to the lower income areas, basically. Okay. Uh, so are we talking something very similar, like in the same vein as a community center? Yes. Okay. okay. Yes, we are. This is the first time in the U.S. anyone had done this before. So Jane Adams specifically provided this model to the U.S. after visiting Europe and learning about this movement. Adams followed the example of Tonaby Hall, which was founded in 1884 in the east end of London as a center for social reform. She described Tonaby Hall as a community of university men. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Bless you. <laughs> oh, can you redo that? Thank you. <laughs> Whoopsie. It's all right. My nose interjected. Yeah. As it does. I'm kind of nosy. <laughs> that was bad. I, you know what? My partner is like voking at dad jokes. So he's rubbing off on me for sure. That's all right. I love dad jokes. So. And I love this particular dad. So. Aww. <laughs> Gushing. I'm a gusher over here. <laughs> I didn't need to know that. <laughs> Not that. Wow. You know, I was just thinking we had gone through almost an entire episode <laughs> without any kind of sexual uh, innuendos or any kind of, you know, sexual notes and tones. <laughs> <laughs> Too late for that. Damn. Okay. <laughs> And look, I deterred myself a few times from making any kind of sexual jokes, and here we are. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Anyway. I I have no chill. (laughs) You have all the chill in the world. It takes a lot of chill to talk about shit like that, in my opinion. Maybe. Yeah, that's true. Probably. Maybe. Probably. Okay, so she described Tonaby Hall as a community of university men who, while living there, held their recreational clubs and social gatherings at the settlement house among poor people in the same style that they would in their own circle. That is her quote, by the way. Okay, so are we talking just like affluent men or... Okay, so they're just like like hanging out in the community center. Lower income people. Oh, okay, so So it's not... very rich people and very like very like affluent people mm-hmm. in the community yeah. they help they hold a lot of power right. were associating with people who didn't have a lot or mm-hmm. um weren't very educated stuff like that i think the point of it was to get together these different basically give each other perspective that's good like I give like them that. more of a sense of community mm-hmm. like this isn't just poor like, people against rich people right we are all people like they're not trying to throw it in their faces that and yeah I, and i think in some instances too they were trying to give these people who don't have a lot some of the same benefits mm-hmm. that these wealthy men the yeah. the same resources mm-hmm. so interesting yeah I'm going to give you a little backstory. So keep in mind that this was the time that they founded this. This was after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. There was a rise, the rise of the Industrial Revolution, yeah. um, the rapid expanse of the West. Because of this, there was a really high demand of cheap labor for all these new jobs. It's estimated there are about 12 million immigrants in the U.S. between the 1880s and 1910s. I believe that. 12 million. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you have to consider 
at this time, it was also the 19th century women's suffrage movement Mm -hmm. that encouraged education, autonomy, and to break into traditional male-dominated occupations Mm -hmm. for women. They called them suffragettes. Suffragettes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I can never say that word. I'm sorry. But you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. Yes. Yes. I know what you're saying. And Mm -hmm. that was all going on at this time. So there was this huge social change um, that was very needed. So the whole house itself was unlike the charity and welfare efforts which preceded it, as this was not a religious-based organization. Mm -hmm. Instead of Christian ethic, Adams opted to ground her settlement on democratic ideals. It focused on providing education and recreational facilities for European immigrant women and children, specifically. According to Christy and Gavreau, while the Christian settlement houses sought to Christianize, Jane Addams, in quotes, had come to epitomize the force of secular humanism. So you're saying she was like a humanist? Yes, she was. Okay. I'm not forcing my ideas on you. Mm, good for her. I'm not forcing my religion on you. Damn. But this is, this is how society needs to be going right which she's fucking badass i'm Brava. not even done Brava. i'm like, not that's even done good for her it's how it's really how it should be there's it no is. one dominant religion in the yeah i said but i said yeah her image was however reinvented by the christian churches according to oh. jane adams whole house museum some social sediments were linked to religious institutions. Others, like the whole house, were secular. So the residents, or the volunteers at the whole house, were given this residence title. Uh, held classes in literature, history, art, domestic activities, such as sewing, and many other subjects. The whole house also held concerts that were free to everyone, offering mm-hmm. free lectures on current issues and operated clubs mm-hmm. for both children and adults. That's cool. And by all accounts, the greater whole house neighborhood, it was near Chicago's near west side, was mixed with various ethnic groups that had immigrated to Chicago. Supposedly, there was no discrimination of race, language, or tradition for those who entered the doors of the whole house. Every person was treated with respect. Most immigrant groups living on the outer fringes of the whole house neighborhood disappeared long before the physical demise of the whole house. The exodus of most ethnic groups began shortly after the turn of the 20th century. Italian Americans were the only immigrant group that endured as a vibrant, ongoing community. That community came to be known as Little Italy. A little background about like what's happened to the whole house. So Charles Hull granted his former home to his niece, Helen Colfer, who in turn granted it to Adams on a 25-year rent-free lease. By 1907, Adams had acquired 13 buildings surrounding the Hull mansion. Between 1889 and 1935, Adams and Ellen Gate Starr continuously redeveloped the building. It was purchased in 1963 by what was then called the University of Illinois Circle Campus. The development of the University of Illinois Circle Campus required the demolition of, unfortunately, most of the whole house buildings. The only thing that still remains is the original mansion and the dining hall that was moved a short length away. Now, I'm going to tell you exactly what social change the whole house association brought about. Throughout the first two decades, along with thousands of immigrants from the surrounding area, and this is all a quote, by the way, from Wikipedia, it just summarized everything so well. Throughout the first two decades, along with the thousands of immigrants from the surrounding area, 
Hull House attracted many female residents who later became very prominent and influential reformers at various levels. At the beginning, Adams and Starr volunteered as on-call doctors when the real doctors either didn't show up or weren't available. They acted as midwives, saved babies from neglect, prepared the dead for burial, nursed the sick, sheltered domestic violence victims. For example, one Italian bride had lost her wedding ring and in turn was beaten by her husband for a week. She sought shelter at the settlement and it was granted to her. Also, a baby born with a cleft palate was unwanted by the mother, so he was kept at the whole house for six weeks after the operation. In another case, a woman was about to give birth to an illegitimate baby, so none of the Irish matrons would touch it. Adam and Starr stepped in and delivered this helpless little one. Finally, a female Italian immigrant was so thrilled about fresh roses at one of the whole house receptions that she insisted they had come from Italy. She had never seen anything as beautiful in America, despite the fact she lived within 10 blocks of a florist shop. Her limited view of America came from the untidy street she lived on and a long struggle to adapt to the American way. The settlement was also gradually drawn into advocating for legislative reforms at the municipal, state, and federal levels, addressing issues such as child labor, women's suffrage, health care reform, and the immigration policy. Some claim that the work of the whole house marked the beginning of what we know today as social welfare. Interesting. At the neighborhood level, whole house established the city's first public playground, bathhouse, and public gymnasium in 1893, pursued educational and political reform, and investigated housing, working, and sanitation issues. The playground opened on May in 1893, located on Polk Street. Families dressed in party attire came and joined the celebration that day. Adams had studied childhood behavior and painfully concluded that children robbed of their childhood were likely to become dull, sullen men and women working mindless jobs or criminals whom the adventure of crime became the only way to break out of the bleakness of their lives. Which I'm not sure I believe that. It was the 1920s. I'm not going to judge too harshly, I guess. Adams' thinking regarding the importance of childhood play opportunities contributed to a national conversation about the need for playgrounds in the movement that started the Playground Association of America. Also, one volunteer, Ginny Dow, started a kindergarten class for children at the settlement while their mothers worked in sweatshops. Within three weeks, Dow had 24 registered kindergartners and 70 on a wait list. That's adorable, right? I'm sorry, it just is. It's cute. At the municipal level, their pursuit of legal reform led to the first juvenile court in the United States, and their work influenced urban planning and their tradition to a branch library system. At the state level, household influenced legislation on child labor laws, occupational safety and health provisions, compulsory education, immigrant rights, and pension laws. These experiences translated to success at the federal level, working with settlement house networks to champion national child labor laws, women's suffrage, a children's bureau, unemployment compensation, workers' compensation, and other elements of the progressive agenda during the first two decades of the 20th century. Isn't it badass? Yeah. The badassery is just escalating. How many men do you think tried to take credit for any of that? I don't think they had any fucking say. You know what? Right? Fuck you. She even even wrote a book later on, too. She did? Uh I gotta find it and I gotta read it. 
It's really cool. Like fist pump. (laughs) Stick it to the man. Yes. Now, I'm going to talk about all the rumors surrounding it and the supposed hauntings. Okay. And keep in mind, I think some of these hauntings or some of these scary rumors were started by very jealous men. So... And here we go. We circle back to the men. Of course, they've got to um, do anything and everything they can to discredit her in any way, shape or form. Yes. And I think that's exactly why they came up with some of these, at least. Charles Hole's wife was said to have died in the attic in 1860. In the 1970s, the building was shortly used for the elderly by the little sisters of the poor, some of which died of natural causes. There was also the death of a young woman named Irene Donner, who was shot outside of the settlement by her former fiancé. Boo. Right. Why? Why did he fucking kill her? Uh, because men suck. People have been said to hear the running footsteps of children in the upstairs corridor and in the courtyard. Mm-hmm. All right. So kid ghosts are either cute they're scary as shit. Yeah. I think that falls more of the level of cute, though. Like the little tippy so. taps. Yeah. I think I think tippy taps are more cute than <laughs> like slamming glass. That's different. <laughs> yeah. Rolling a little ball is fine. Maybe. So we know how the poltergeist is going to get you. <laughs> so. We do. Yeah. Hopefully I don't anchor the poltergeist, though. So let's not do that. Yeah. No. I have no plans on doing that. Also, in that same courtyard, there's a concrete slab where there used to be an old fountain. That area is said to be a portal to hell. Oh, fuck no. Yeah, I think it's just rumor. I think, again, it's trying to discredit the actual house itself. Right. So So. it's the scariest thing they can think of, a portal to hell. Oh, no, they they thought of something else. Hold on. Oh, Lord. (laughs) My eyes are down the hallway right now. I'm rolling them so hard. I'll get to it in a minute. Okay, so there's also a rumor of a lady in white. And normally, like, you can you hear about lady in whites everywhere. Oh, yeah. We've got a lady in white that haunts our house, too. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think the whole point behind, like, the lady in white ghost is it's um, a woman that died before she wanted to do something. She's left unfulfilled. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. the generic version is it's, like, a bride, but... So the lady in white is speculated to be Melissa Hull, um, Charles' wife. And you said she was the one that died in the attic? Uh-huh. Sorry, did they ever say how she died? Nope. Okay. Nope. I, I'm sure we can look it up, but I haven't seen anything on how she died. Okay. You want me to look it up real quick? Sure. Huh. So it doesn't really say how she died, just that where she haunts. Hmm. Okay. So basically it says that her death is unknown, which kind of makes me feel like it might have been a suicide situation. Maybe not. I don't know. I think It just she says was, death unavailable. I think she was pretty young. Right. And Well, I think she was probably in her 60s. She was in her 60s when she died? Or maybe she was in her 40s. I know Charles was born in 1820, and I know he sold the house in the 1960s. Oh, okay. So I was thinking that she was pretty young. So she was probably in her 40s, at least, if not younger. So she Hmm. probably was pretty young. Our Millie has gone home. She went cheerfully and gladly, seeing that her work here was done, and believed that in heaven, friends and happiness awaited her arrival. She is now, I believe, with Lewis, her son, with angels and with God. That was from, I guess, her obituary. 
Yeah. When Adams moved into the house back in 89, 1889 that is, not 1989, mm-hmm. uh, the previous residents spoke to her about the lady in white haunting Millicent's former bedroom, which was said that ended up being Jane Adams' room too. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So there was like maybe a, a kinship between them. Interesting. And then people also thought that she was the one who was haunting the attic. Can I um, say something for the record? Yeah. She was actually in her 30s when she died. Wow. So she was yes, young. She was young. So, so it, it makes was, sense. She Lady was almost and 40. So this is um, Jane Adams' words on the rumor of the attic being haunted mm-hmm. specifically. Okay. It had a half skeptical reputation for being a haunted attic so far respected by the tenants living on the second floor that they always kept a large pitcher full of water on the attic stairs. Their explanation of this custom was so incoherent that I wasn't sure it was a survival of the belief that a ghost could not cross running water, but perhaps that interpretation was only my eagerness for finding folklore. I mean, that's a really good, like, guess to why, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she believed. Looking at it because it's so interesting. Right? Yeah. Right? I went so down this interesting. giant loophole. I can see how. You know what? Skirt, back up. We should have done this as its own episode. Yeah. I see why you wanted to do this one. This one's, like, very rich in history. Yes. And I, I want more. And I will stop doing my own solid research on it and Please. let you do your thing. Seriously, I want to do an episode on the women that run this fucking place. Yeah. Because they're, I mean, their history just themselves mm-hmm. is so yeah. fucking fascinating. Yeah. And I don't know why Millie Millicent, she's calling to me. Like something's happening. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I need to know what happened to this woman. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Um, who knows? Yeah. But there's really not a whole lot about her. Mm, yeah there was two sentences in what i was looking at just pertaining to her and it it was only um basically used the whole house website their official website yeah actually had her name nothing Mm -hmm. else did yeah yep so i'm not i don't know maybe she didn't die of like a violent death or anything like that maybe Maybe it was something that it sounded like she'd done herself maybe that's what it feels like but Again, we don't know, you know? Yeah. So it's hard to speculate there. And who knows? She could have had something that she could have been in poor health anyway. Yeah. You never know. That's true. Because back then things were much different. Could have been in childbirth. Yeah. That's exactly. I was thinking that too. Mm -hmm. Um, There is no names to the people in this next story I'm about to tell. Okay. So there's one more ghost story circulating about this mansion. In 1913, there was said to have been a man that stated that he preferred to have a picture of the devil rather than the Virgin Mary in his home. He's okay. like, this woman's ugly as sin. I'd rather have sin. That that was his exclamation? Yeah. That's what he said? Yes. So they took it like literal. Yeah. Well, he literally. said, well, he said he'd, he literally said he'd rather have a picture of the devil in his home rather than the Virgin Mary. That's okay. Best, that I, the, the other thing is what I said. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> did he really mean the devil? Like, did he really mean a picture of Satan? Or was he just like, I don't want this woman staring at me because it's creepy? Probably. That's probably what it meant. Yeah. But he was filled with the devil. He sure was. <laughs> so his wife later had supposedly given birth to a child but something was wrong with this child this child had horns pointed ears scale covered skin 
in a tale. So basically, I mean, even so, so now in 2023, we can debunk a lot of those things. A lot of those right. things are just right in other things that aren't right. that. And it, so who honest, knows? If this actually happened, which I'm assuming this did not, if it actually happened, a lot of it was probably exaggerated. This woman was said to have ran to the whole house for help. And it was Adams that tried to baptize the baby, but it didn't work. And they ended up to, you know, get the devil out, that Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. But it didn't work. And they ended up locking the child in the attic. Rumors say it's still locked in the attic to this day. Or that the ghost of the child remains trapped there. Well, initially annoyed about the story, which has no basis in fact, Adam became fascinated with the effect of the episode it had on old women in the neighborhood and used the episode as a base for her book, The Long Road of a Woman's Memory. Mm, Interesting. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that is pretty cool. Like, obviously, it sounds like this was a rumor against her, specifically. But it kind of worked in her favor um, when you think about it, you know? Yeah, she just kind of turned it around. Yeah. It was like a way to enrich the history, because Mm -hmm. some people, it seemed like, were into that. Like, wanted to be there because of something so weird and scary and strange. Right. Am I getting that wrong? No, I I think that's... Kind of the basis? I I believe so, yeah. (laughs) I just just love her so much. She's Mm -hmm. so awesome. Unfortunately, Friday, January 27th of 2012, whole house closed unexpectedly, and all of its employees received their final paychecks. And the Jane Addams Whole House Association was closed and filed for bankruptcy due to financial difficulties after almost 122 years. Dang, that's, that's a, a lot. That's a lot, lot of history. Yeah. 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 The University of Chicago's Jane Addams Whole House Museum, which is unaffiliated with the agency, however, still remains open. Oh, so you can go and obviously look at it. Uh huh. You can take a little tour and a little tour, tour, little tour, <laughs> and take that. that little tour and go tour. <laughs> <laughs> take that little tour and go tour. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> 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 laughing at your expense. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, people just say tour really weird and differently. It's the same same thing as like cement and cement. Mm-hmm. Tomato, tomato. Tornado, yeah. tornado. Whatever. Whatever you want to say. It's Oklahoma. It is Oklahoma. <laughs> to all my Oklahomies out there. Uh, somebody hey. punch me. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's the end of my story. That can't be the end. I need more. I know. There was, there was so much about this yeah. that it was hard to just put into what I just yeah that's how I felt about just talking about haunting houses alone haunting houses haunted houses and ghost houses there was just so much out there it was really hard to rope it in so I feel that vibe a lot I do now I'm looking up what day the next (gasps) oh my god the next Friday the 13th do you know when it is it's October October the 13th Uh uh-huh Friday the 13th the day before my birthday that's pretty cool that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We're doing a photo shoot of those those of you out there who don't know because we haven't told anybody. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not in a loop, if you're yeah. not in the fucking lab, you are now. This is your an, this is an exclusive update. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're doing a witchy photo shoot with my friend Heather, formerly known as Heather Bond. She is now Heather Debris because she married a really cool guy, Aww. and she's going to do our photo shoot for us. And then later, like a month or so later, we're gonna do uh, a family Christmas photo shoot. With the girls Aww. and it's like a victorian theme it's gonna be Aww. fucking fantastic 
Uh, like a modern Victorian-esque vibe. You yeah, know? that'll be fun. So my partner asked last night, and I didn't even think about this, why don't you guys do your photo shoot in a cemetery? You know, since you guys are going to be like coven energy, which vibatry? We should. Or why I was not? thinking. We okay. are doing it at Turkey Mountain. Did I not tell you that? Uh-uh. Ah! I guess that concludes our show. Um, although you know how it is. Every time we record, I always want to keep going. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that momentum just... It's hard to just kind of find a stopping point. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's hard to just cut that cord. Yeah. Because that's what it sounds like when you cut a cord. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> According to you, it is. Um, yeah. And every time I cut cords, I always hear that sound like audibly out loud. Huh. No, that's not true, Kelly. How? <laughs> 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 oh, why? Why? Just... So anyway, let's cut that cord. Anyway. <laughs> we'll see you guys next Wait. time oh we're not done so because we're doing a whole bunch of halloween themed um a halloween-esque episodes we want you guys if you want to send in some of your best halloween stories or anything halloween related or haunted related and we will read them on the air promise we will as long as they're pc and they're not mean or rude and rough you know whenever you're when you send anything to us please use like decorum and well yeah or we'll edit it okay that's just matter of fact we'll edit it um (laughs) but we would really like to read your guys' stories on the air and uh yeah and i think that pretty much concludes it um like for sure for sure for real for real we're really gonna end this episode we're gonna cut that cord baby (laughs) happy early halloween i'm sorry not sorry and email us at crazyhexagool at gmail.com or follow us on or follow us on Instagram. We are Crazy Hexy Ghoul Podcast. Uh, we do have a Twitter. Feel free to find that in the Twitterverse. Mm-hmm. Not Twitter. We don't have a Twitter. Kelly, we do not have a Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to keep up with it. <laughs> it I was just agreeing with We you. have a TikTok. Y'all find us on TikTok in the TikTokverse, whatever <laughs> fucking thing. Anyway, peace out, ghosties. We love you so much. The music in this podcast is by the band The Daddios. This is Kelly. And I'm Arlo. And you're listening to Crazy Hexy Ghoul. We'll see you next time. Is this it? Is this the end? Bye. Mm-hmm.